Designing systems for your game that intertwine with the deeper lore can help flush out your world. Systems that take familiar approaches but with a slight twist can also assist. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Matt of Wolf Wraith Press about his new game, Quint. We talk narrative stories, crunchy systems, and ludonarrative approaches. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am joined by Matt of Wolf Wraith Press. Hey, I got it right that time. You got it. <laughs> and I am so excited to be talking about Quint with you. In this pre-interview, before we actually hit record, I mentioned a little bit that I absolutely love the aesthetic of this game and the setting. There's a lot that's really cool in this and i'm really excited to pick your brain about it yeah hey i'm excited to talk about it there's a lot to talk about so um where do you want to start <laughs> well before we actually dive into what quint is can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself cool um my name is matt i'm the designer the writer the everything for wolf wraith press um it is a passion project of mine. I've been playing TTRPGs for a very long time, and finally this year, um, due to extenuating circumstances, <laughs> I <laughs> felt the need to start making them. So um, I've been working on and off on homebrew. I've been, you know, DMing, and I have slowly come to the point where I felt comfortable enough to make my own game, and that's what Quint is. I am so happy to hear that. That's great. I mean, with the pandemic, you got to see a lot of people having the time to actually sit down and work on things. So th there's been a lot of really cool things coming out the past year and that are coming out because of it. So Yeah, there has been kind of this like dynamic shift. A lot of people, sadly, I'm among them, we uh, lost our jobs and there was... There was kind of like a, a period where people just realized that we wanted to do what we wanted to do, I think. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I think that this is the result of that. A world where people are happier doing what they want to be doing is okay in my books, but it sucks the situation that got us there. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so, Matt, what is Quint? Quint is a TTRPG that has a focus on group storytelling. I had an emphasis when I was coming up with it, and that was that while you're playing TTRPGs frequently, you have a delineation of roles, right? Mm -hmm. There's a DM and there's players. And with Quint, I wanted to create a game where those things are merged so that you can have a more like i don't know a more organic play space with your group quint yeah. is a ttrpg quint is also kind of like a group storytelling game as well i like to call it that okay um what else is quint 
it's it's a story that takes place in a kind of sci-fi slash fantasy right world yeah it's a game that has its own internal politics but at the same time encourages you to change every single thing about it if you want to mm-hmm. yeah i could i could go on and on and on and on about what it is but um let's talk about some specifics <laughs> what do you, you want to know well what i would like to know and talk about a little bit because i thought it was great was you have some guidelines that i think a lot of people will like for players and the storyteller which is the game master name for quint mm-hmm. switching places throughout or not throughout but between sessions and such and i want to know kind of how you handled writing down those rules and those guidelines so that everybody can get involved and not it doesn't need to be one person solely building this world right I think a lot of my impetus in writing those rules is essentially, I think to do that, you have a difficult a difficult process to convey to people who like to control stories, to people who would rather be an auteur, right? Like the term <laughs> I'm using is auteur. It means like a person who is directing all of the action right like the traditional dm role right in quint i have a few blurbs off to the side that give you kind of like social suggestions i'm sure that we have all probably experienced ttrpg games where the dm pardon me or the storyteller for example um really has a vision in mind and no matter how hard you try to stray away from that vision you always get pulled back towards it colloquially we uh we call it on rails right yeah and essentially what i want to do with quint is this is going to sound so judgy (laughs) but (laughs) i want to provide a situation where i can help people realize that that's not the only way to play ttrpgs and not just that dynamic right Mm -hmm. so in that respect all of these little blurbs that i have the first one says um every once in a while while a storyteller wants to be a player or a player wants to tell the story quint allows for this change quite easily but there are a few things you should keep in mind when this occurs You are all playing together. Uh, Don't take your loss or gain of control personally and move the story forward in accordance with everybody's comfort level. Those are like, those are the first three suggestions I have in my how to play section for swapping roles. I also, I think, have another set of suggestions later on. But essentially, I'm asking somebody who might be used to this auteur role to give it up completely. The the story that's being told isn't yours singularly. It's yours and it belongs to the group. It belongs to everybody. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's it's nice though because there are 
a lot of games and there's been a heavy build we've had a lot on the show actually that run on the no dice no master system hmm. and it has like that's that's a big part of it is that nobody is really in control and seeing that put into something like quint which is it's it can be can be i'm going to use the words can be quite crunchy if the group wants it to be which is like great it's a it's a great option there's a lot of dice that you can be using in this game it's a really interesting turn compared to say something like uh, i don't know like wander home or even 5e it's just like this really nice melding Right. I find that there's like a hard delineation between people who want crunchy games and people who want story games. Yeah. And I don't understand it personally because I like both and I yeah. want both at the same time. I want everything. <laughs> but I also find that there's this kind of culture, correct me if I'm wrong, around crunchy games where the auteur, right, the DM is yeah. really, really, really in control. And yes. in storytelling games, um, there's this culture that dice rolls are the enemy sometimes. Not all the time. Not all the time, yeah. But I just, I don't know. In, in the end, really, it, it comes back to the fact that like Quint is a labor of love for TTRPGs. So it's really my perspective of what I like in games. And... Uh, it turns out I like both. I like crunch and I like story. So that's what's in here. Speaking of story, Quint has this really interesting background with the fall of the afterlife and these giant flotillas of land either in the air, across the ground, underwater sometimes. It's a really cool setting with a lot going on. What are some of the inspirations that played a role into bringing this game to be? This is one of my favorite questions. Um, so <laughs> I'm an artist, and my first inspiration was the art of um, Mobius. I'm not oh, sure if you're familiar. I am, actually. Yeah. So Mobius is this artist who, um, Jean Giraud, and he worked in a lot of sci-fi properties, um, he died relatively recently, I think in 2012 or something like that. But his worlds are all large, right? They're all expansive and epic, but they also have these characters that seem like people. They have clothes that look like they're worn, like they're made from like repurposed jumpsuits. And um, the buildings that he draws, like the bricks aren't, perfect some of them are just like made of mud but they still look like they're science fiction right he essentially blends this high and low life and that's kind of the aesthetic overall that i was going for i mean i have tons of other inspirations as well um blade runner absolutely is one of them even though i i'm not really including a lot of the same themes that's fair um Mobius, Blade Runner. Oh, I mean, Shadowrun is a big inspiration for me. Um, it's kind of where I got the idea for a point-based system. Yeah, I really liked. I really liked the point-based system from Shadowrun. I thought it was overcomplicated, so I did something a little similar, <laughs> but different. 
But I also like the way that Shadowrun conveys information at times. Mm. Um, sometimes it conveys it in a very crunchy way, but sometimes it conveys information in a more like in a more relaxed way. Um, yeah, and I think that's partially why some people find the game book itself confusing because you're looking for information in these crunchy tables and then you're looking for information in these like very well-written paragraphs of story <laughs> so it's a little off-putting but i really like how inside the Shadowrun books if you read the blurbs it will give you a whole different world like it will yeah. provide you with all of the context you need it uses tons of in-game terms, right? And in that kind of very science fiction way, but in a way that uh, isn't infantilizing. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense. It's, yeah. It kind of sets it up so that there are the crunchy tables, like you said. It's been a long time since I've looked at the Shadowrun book, and that's really extensive, and it can be kind of hard to find what you're looking through. And then there's these really good story paragraphs, more or less, where the information's written and it's narrative. It feels more narrative. Right, that's, yeah. That's jarring at times. I can totally get that. Um, so what you've done with Quint, and I can attest to this, you sent me one of the beta copies to take a look at, is that it uses the more simple paragraph form of that. There are still tables, but they're a lot easier on the eyes. Right. I want I want a level of crunch that's like easy to interpret, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. So you had mentioned it actually while we were talking there, but something that's really, really cool about Quint is the classless point-based system, and something I love about it is that it's utilized by both the player characters and the storyteller. Can you talk a little bit about? how it's used by both, and how it works. Okay, so I have a chapter called Player Tools and Character Creation. You'll notice that those are different. Character creation isn't just for players. In Quint, the quote-unquote enemies you face are going to be other people, and they're also going to be monsters. Well, monsters, not in the colloquial sense, but that's something in lore that we can get to later. Monsters in quotation marks. In quotation marks. I don't like monsters. Anyways, um, <laughs> but you use exactly the same character creation process to create an enemy as a player does creating a character. You have a set number of points, which is determined by the total number of points that your players have to spend on enemies. And they gain abilities by spending points in the Tree of Life, just like the players do. Essentially, every skill, the 12 skills, um, athletics, coordination, endurance, perceiving, science, technology, mysticism, politics, art, faith, other, and influence. Those are the 12 skills. That's how you interact with the world. But if you want to advance any of those 12 skills, you can. And there are a bunch of abilities higher up in a skill tree that you can choose. So for example, I'll pop onto athletics. And keep in mind that this is 
this is available both to players and to the storyteller. At the bottom of the athletics stream, you have athletics proficiency, right? That costs one point. And then moving up the tree, it branches out in two directions, right? Okay. It goes into wrestling and gymnastics. And then wrestling and gymnastics, those split into two different abilities. So your abilities are splitting kind of fractally as you go up this tree. Eventually, when you reach the top, you have a total of, I think it's eight abilities that you can choose from, meaning each tree has a total of 23 different abilities that you can choose for your character. Some of them are more expensive, costing more points as you get higher in the tree, and some of them are less expensive. The more expensive ones are more powerful. However, if I were a storyteller and I was trying to make, I don't know, um, a bruiser character that the players are going to have to either negotiate or face in a firefight, I would use this exact same tree, the athletics tree, because this represents kind of like a physical ability. I would use the athletics tree to build this enemy as well. I would have a number of points depending on like how much I want to challenge my group. Uh, usually, the best way to do it is you add up the total number of experience points that the players have, but it's exactly the same process for both the storyteller and for the players. That's so cool. So here's, here's another quick question because I know it's going to come up. Is it theoretically possible for a player character to get every single skill on the trees? Yes, <laughs> but you, oh boy! <laughs> I mean, I mean, you would be playing for a very, very long time. It is fully possible. I'm not limiting. Like, I find this an interesting concept in as far as gamification goes, because you're absolutely right. In, for example, an MMORPG, right, yeah. where somebody can like chug ten Red Bulls and stay up for three weeks. <laughs> and grind their character they can be a golden god if you don't put a cap on the number of things they can do right yeah but i feel like in a ttrpg that's not something i need to compensate for right no probably like not. i i i don't think it's going to be possible a to play that long and b run that character because you will have so many abilities like i said there are 12 here let me get out my calculator uh calculator there we go so there are 12 skill trees and there are 23 skills in each that would be 276 discrete abilities for you to know <laughs> um so that's that's the ability that's the number of abilities Kind of. Some abilities I have aren't actual abilities. They're just bonuses, right? Yeah. So you're not actually having to memorize that number of abilities. But that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's yeah. That's an extensive amount. That's really impressive. It's not all of them either. I also... No? So, so the process to build a character between a player and the storyteller is exactly the same. However, the storyteller, under most circumstances, has access to some abilities that the players don't, but the players can earn them through the story. Oh, okay. There's a section in the book called The Other Trees, and this is my way 
to introduce fantastic creatures from myth uh, into the story. So uh, I'm going to have to go into the lore for this one. <laughs> ooh, let's get into that. Let's get into that right now. So at some point in Quint, a long time ago, the afterlife and all of the planes of existence exploded. Nobody knows why or how, but there was a cascade event that caused a huge catastrophe, essentially. Most of the surface of the world now is covered in these ghosts, and the players are on these flotillas, on these large domes that were inspired by the gods, and they're now lifted above these clouds that are basically full of ghosts and elementals and spirits and stuff, and those are the quote-unquote monsters that you face in the game. Mm. They are aggressive because they're confused, but I also provide the option for players to have a semi-pacifist way to, I guess, ensure that they're no longer aggressive inside the flotilla. Like, killing them is absolutely an option, but I have another option called censoring we can get into that in a little bit but what i'm trying to get at is that all of these different types of monsters are built using other trees and these are skill trees that the players normally don't have access to however other trees and skill trees are quite literal in that they are actual trees in the world that you can go to so it's kind of like an inbuilt quest if you want, for example, your character to have access to the tree of elemental, right? There's an elemental tree that forks into like earth, fire, water, and air. That's normally only available to the storyteller. However, players can quite literally try to quest to this elemental tree, learn the information on it, and then have access to the abilities later. That's so cool. Yeah, there's also the potential for you to start the game with access to one of them called your your starting boon. I either give players access to one of the trees or they get cool swag. So you get um, one, I think it's an item that's at a rarity level that's higher than you normally get. So you either start the game with like a cool Jeep or access to uh, the ghost tree, and you can spend points there. So yeah, um, in lore reasons why it exists, but also a kind of built-in system for storytelling and questing if you really want to like get into the nitpickiness. So not only is it a way to mechanically flavor both the creatures of the world and give something special to certain players. It's a way to advance the plot or at least put a narrative hook on specific player characters and that choose that as their starting boon. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you really want it and you don't choose it as your starting boon, you can you can talk to your storyteller and be like, hey, I really want to have access to the elemental tree. Can we start questing towards the elemental tree? And... It's probably going to be a yes, unless, you know, your storyteller has a concurrent story in line. And, you know, if it comes down to it, you can be the storyteller and you can decide <laughs> to quest the group towards the elemental tree. 
That's so cool. I really like these trees. Just like I'm always a big fan of how games handle classless games, like or like just building archetypes. And this is one of the first off most interesting ways I've seen, but also one of the most engaging and frankly cool ways I have seen put Thank into you. a tabletop game. And yeah, you totally deserve it. It's super interesting. I think that a lot of people are going to look at this and be really into it. I know that I've spent far too long optimizing characters in certain video games before, and this scratches that itch. Right. I'm thinking about, I'd actually like your opinion on this. I'm thinking about building a way, like a process, maybe a downtime process for characters to re-specialize. What do you think? I think that a lot of people would like that. I think I would like that because sometimes... Yeah, sometimes you make a choice and you're like, I don't know. Okay, cool. Uh, the the downtime rules are incoming. To keep your eyes open on my Twitter, etc. <laughs> that might that might be a hurdle actually for for my uh, for my itch. So we'll see about that. <laughs> that sounds perfect. We'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that then. So let's go back a little bit before. Not necessarily before, but in part, uh, some of the past of you and Wolfwraith. So you were telling me about this, that you kind of like diversified a little bit. You had originally made a 5e module mm-hmm. called Quintessence, and you also run a t-shirt shop. Can you tell us a little bit about those and what how things have been different from, say, promoting Quint? Yeah, so... The 5e project, um, I wrote a fifth edition world book called Quintessence. And the impetus for that was an attempt to decolonize D&D fifth edition. It did not work out super well. (laughs) I'm sorry Um, to hear that. Well, I think the problem I had was that I had to rewrite so much stuff. I had to create a whole world where the dynamic of colonialism wasn't like the rigueur way that people adventured. I had to create um, a world that had political systems that weren't just, you know, uh, kings and queens that weren't just feudal, Mm -hmm. uh, lots of moving pieces inside of it. And then in the end, I mean, after check out check out the project if you're curious uh the the book is good i think it has a lot of (laughs) it has a lot of content in it but in the end it didn't feel satisfying to me it was also a lesson in um advertising for sure yep because it was my first project i wanted it to be finished and perfect before I even tried putting out an advertisement or putting out any uh, fingers or anything like that, right? You can see where this is going. Yeah, uh, that's tricky. <laughs> and then I had my project completely finished. It had absolutely no hype at all whatsoever. I hadn't talked to anybody <laughs> about it. It was practically a secret among my group of friends. And um, yeah the release didn't go super well nobody even knew that it happened i'm so proud of the project but i considered it abandoned at that point because i realized i'd learned my lesson 
I am done with this. I also was kind of done with D&D 5, but I realized that I had all of these frustrations with the system, with the world that is necessitated by the system. Mm-hmm. I could talk about Luda narrative for days. <laughs> but it made me realize that I wanted to play a different game and no game was going to be perfect unless I just did it myself. So I started doing it myself. And uh, I'm not I'm not trying to insinuate that this is a perfect game for anyone but me. But if you like the things that I like, like storytelling with a group, relatively simple rules, but still enough crunch so that there's like risk. And yeah, I, if you like a game like that, then this this is something that you will enjoy, I think. I think that this game is perfect for somebody who they're kind of bored of 5e. They want something similar, not the same, but similar, and that it isn't Pathfinder. It's very different from both. Like, those are the, we'll be perfectly honest, like when we talk about our fantasy games, like Pathfinder, 5e, those are our really two big titans. And I think Quint is this nice, like, spike off divergence where it's, it's got similar kind of challenge and draw to it. It's got these really cool systems for creating things, but it offers a lot more narrative freedom in a lot of ways. For instance, the uh, the ability to actually craft. I love crafting in games. And there is like more than a couple pages on f- interesting ways to craft or how to make crafting quests. So like there is a bunch of cool stuff in this game and... I think it has a lot to offer. Thanks. Um, yeah, I I wrote the creation and crafting section after a session of Dungeons and Dragons, where I was <laughs> I was DMing and I was trying to adjudicate a player making something. I do not remember what it was, but he had a skill, he had the tools, he had the materials. And for the life of me, I could not find how he was going to accomplish this thing. So I decided that I would do something very simple. It would be like two pages. Uh, and it would hopefully, I think, encapsulate everything you need to do. One thing that I really tried to do, even if I have like crunchy tables and whatnot, is I want to use semi-vague language when it comes to my modifiers. So component quality, we were talking about crafting, low, average, and high. That doesn't really mean anything, right? Yeah. But I want the storyteller and the group to come up with their internal canon of what that means for them, you know? And it can also be plastic. Like, it doesn't have to be the same thing every time. I'm not making a system that is so crunchy that you need to look up, like, the manufacturer of your (laughs) Vibro Katana so that you know how many D6s. I mean, you can tell I'm talking shit about Shadowrun right now, but the. (laughs) I, I want. How do I put this? I like systems that allow you narrative freedom, but also 
are providing you with like a hand that is outstretched to guide you. You know what I mean? Yeah, you like a really solid bone structure in your game. Right, exactly. I, I want there to be a bone structure, and, but I want the musculature to be completely created by the people who are playing. Like, Quint is the kind of game where once it's in your hands, it's absolutely, it's all yours. Change all the rules. If you need to, like, I say, I think at least three times in the book, change everything if it's not to your liking. Speaking of changing and musculatures and bone structures, mm-hmm. Quint has a really solid bone structure for a lot of different genres. And even briefly mentioned that in the game, actually. This has a really solid setup for like both the noir games that take place in like a really small scale or the world sprawling fantasy fighter. How did you build this game? What what went into building this game? to make it encompass a lot of genres instead of just making it feel like it was kind of pigeonholed into one or two really specific genres. It was uh, sorcery. There were a lot of sacrifices, uh, <laughs> both blood and no. Um, I think really what it was, was that while I was developing the lore, I wanted to provide outs for people because the lore does touch on some things that I feel like could be uncomfortable for a lot. Central to the plot is the fact that the church controls everything. And a lot of people would be uncomfortable with that. Yeah. You know, there are, there are ships of the flotilla that have certain political modes that people might be uncomfortable with. And that was my impetus in creating something that was, a solid set of bones that could be changed and is encouraged to change. I want to provide a game that is a safe space. And that's why part of the game is that in the session zero, you fill out a safety sheet with your group. Absolutely. I think that every TTRPG experience should include that. So I wrote it in, in the canon. Uh, where is it? How to play. Hold a session zero. It's the second thing on the list. And there is a sheet that I have called the world sheet that includes a set of limitations and boundaries. So my answer to your question, I think, in the end, is that I wanted to create a space that is safe for everybody, but also act as how do you put this like a bit of um a bit of a guide towards creating a group that is stable and healthy i essentially want to (laughs) help people avoid like the horror stories in rpgs oh boy do we all have one or two of those (laughs) oof i uh I admit to a bad habit. There's a subreddit that I read called, <laughs> called RPG Horror Stories. And, I love it. Yeah, uh, it's awful, it but is, I love it. It is awful. It's awful. So I wanted to help people avoid the trauma of situations like that. And I think that, I mean, if both the players and the storytellers have access to my book, if a storyteller starts overstepping their bounds or 
for example, disrespecting the limitations and boundaries that were set out at the beginning of the game, there are points in my book that a player can open it up, point to it, and say, you're not playing right. And I think that that is true. I think it's yeah. important. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm admittedly quite proud of the fact that I created a game that has stuff like that inside of it. But at the same time, I like to say that I don't take any kind of like any kind of how do I put this? Any kind of like responsibility? No, not responsibility. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not taking the uh, the accolades for it. I'm just following a trend right now. There are a lot of like POC uh, like developers and writers mm-hmm. and to POC-led games that have done this, I think, out of necessity for their play tables. Yeah. And I I am following the trend in that I think that it is good. Absolutely good. I agree. It's a pretty common practice, actually, from the uh, people who have come on. And sometimes I forget to mention it, but I think basically every tabletop role-playing game that's been on the show has had some form of these rules. A couple more explicit than others, but it's 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 a good trend, and I hope it stays in practice and only grows. Absolutely, yeah. I think that I mean, some people like to say that it's limiting, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. Uh, I I I'm excited. I think for the the world of safe TTRPGs. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people are. Uh, I want to see more people at the table. Yeah, more people comfortable. Yeah. Quint is currently itch funding. We talked a little bit about how you are thinking about writing in some re reallocating skill points in setting up rules for that. But what are some other plans that you're thinking about implementing in Quint while it's itch funding? So... My itch funding has a few different tiers. The first tier is editing and sensitivity reading. I would like to get that out of the way right off the bat. I feel like there are some sections that I would very much like to pay a uh, sensitivity reader of various experiences to go over. Uh, I also acknowledge that I need editing from an outside perspective. But I also want to be able to afford additional art. There are a few art pieces inside the book right now, inside the beta, that I've commissioned some very excellent artists for. Absolutely wonderful. I am so lucky in that I communicated the fact that I'm itch funding to them. And they said, hey, take your time. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep you on the back burner. So uh, I have two artists who are essentially waiting for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I do a lot of the art myself. So people who are backing can expect there to be semi-frequent updates to the game. Uh, so the game that you're buying, the $10 beta price, you are entitled to all of the updates. That's how an edge funding works. Uh, I will be sending out emails whenever I update the game. Um, but right now the plan is at least a monthly update. In the most recent update, I have added, 
One sec. Let me just open up because I have a change log. Who? Yeah, I'm a professional. <laughs> uh, writing. I put it in writing, didn't I? Yes, I did. What have I added? In 1.02. Oh, so I have reorganized the sheets. The fillable sheets have been put to the end of the book and the other trees and the example other creatures, which are kind of example monsters, are also moved to the end of the book. Uh, this was mostly after some critiques I had, after some friends of mine read the book and said, hey, why don't you put this stuff behind this stuff so that um, players aren't immediately exposed to the other trees and the other creatures. And it made perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, in in 1.02, oh, there's page numbers now. <laughs> I figured out how to do page <laughs> numbers. There's also page numbers in the rotated pages. I am working on adding hyperlinks as well. So there's this big paper shortage and I figure I'm not going to be able to make a hardcover version of the game for a long time. So I am going to start really utilizing some of the advantages I have working in digital. Now there are hyperlinks inside of the PDF in the book that link to things like uh, chapters when they're referenced. For example, in my how to play section, one of the bullet points for how to prepare a game of Quint is generate the first hex, see storyteller tools for your group as you set out into the world, as well as take some time to write some basic plot elements. In this instance, you can actually just click on Storyteller Tools and it will bring you right to the chart that you need to be rolling on. So the hyperlinks are super duper convenient. I'm very excited for that. Uh, I've also been working on some additional art, so that's going to be going into the latest update. So to answer your question, additional stuff that people can be looking for is additional writing that gets added slowly over time, formatting that I'm doing myself, and artwork that I'm doing myself. All of that is part of the solo development, so all of that comes consistently. What I need help with is getting other people to edit for me, getting other people who have experiences that aren't like mine to sensitivity read for me, and getting artwork from other people. because. I mean, I like having a singular vision. This is my baby. But <laughs> I think that having art from multiple sources adds kind of like a beautiful diversity to the inside of the book. Yeah. And yeah, I really, I really, I mean, I loved working with these two artists. So I think I also want an excuse to work with them again. So uh, <laughs> if you help make this book, that is some of the stuff that I'm going to be spending it on. That's so cool. Matt, we're actually starting to run close to being out of time here. So I got a couple more questions for you. One is, as frequent listeners have heard, and I'm going to say this sentence again, my favorite question to ask here on this show. So what advice can you give someone who wants to start making their own game, but they don't know where to start? I think the best thing to do to start making a game 
is to think about the idea of ludonarrative. Google it if you've never heard the word before, but ludonarrative is the idea that mechanics can be tied to in-game realities. So think about think about how in Dungeons and Dragons it's implied that the adventurers are just superior people. That's a ludonarrative element of Dungeons and Dragons. If you want to start designing a TTRPG, think about something that you can use as a sign or as a symbol that references a mechanic and then from that mechanic build outwards. That's how I made Quint. I started with the trees. The idea was that the gods planted trees that allowed people to learn stories. That was the first idea that I had and I stuck with it for the whole thing. So yeah, think about think about a thing, but then think about how you are tying a rule to that thing in your world and how they interrelate. That's such a cool idea. I think that's the first time we've gotten that advice here on the show. That's mm -hmm. a really interesting one. Wow. Well, yeah. I've got the I think I've got the advantage of being just like a weird art person. So <laughs> I just I think about I think about I think about this stuff too much. You know what I mean? It's just I I take it very seriously when I do do it and yeah. That's really fun. I like how that ties together really well. So, final question of the night and this is more so for well they've all been for you, but it's to help you out here. Where can people find out more about you, Quint, and Wolfwraith? So, I have a website. You can find me at wolfwraithpress.com. That's where I post um, kind of a blog format update. Whenever I do do an update, this is where all my like long form posts are. However, I'm most active on Twitter at Wolfwraith Press. You can check me out there. I have a store, of course, on itch.io. So that's itch.io. I'm sure most of you are familiar. <laughs> uh, slash Wolfwraith Press. Or sorry, wolfwraithpress.itch.io, rather. Uh, and that's linked in the pinned tweet uh, on my Twitter. So yeah, those are my socials, I think, that I'm most active on. And... Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm excited to talk to more people about this. So if anybody has questions, I really, really want to hear them. Let me know. And as always, audience, all those socials are going to be linked down below this video in the description. So you can click on them. Go talk to Matt about Quint. I, I, I freaking love the aesthetic of this game. I love the concepts. It's something so fresh and... I want more. You got me thirsty for it, Matt. I want more. Well, there is going to be more. Uh, keep your eye <laughs> on all of my socials so that you can be there for updates. And <laughs> yeah, it's coming. Yeah, it's. I hope so. It looks great. And audience, go support Matt on Itch and help him fund this game. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's going on with it. I... 
like I said, I love the aesthetic. If you're like me and you like weird supernatural stuff and really interesting mechanics and a game that blends the storytelling and narrative themes together really well, Quint does a phenomenal job. Matt, it has been absolutely wonderful to have you on the show. Awesome. It's been wonderful to be here. I love talking about this game, and I love talking to people who get all my TTRPG jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Once again, Matt, thank you so much for coming on. Audience, thank you for listening. Matt and Quint, they are currently scheduled for launch really soon. So go and help itch fund this. Get your hands on that beta and take a look at it because it's so fucking cool. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Matt for coming onto the show this week. When he approached me about coming on to schedule for launch, I actually hadn't heard anything about Quint, but I can safely tell you I'm super hooked on this one and I'm really looking forward to a full release. So please go help itch fund this one because I think a lot of you are going to appreciate how cool this game is. There is a lot of familiar to it, but also it's really fresh. So I'd love to see more of it. And as always, thank you for listening, everyone. With the first year of the podcast starting to run down, I'm still in awe at how wonderful you all have been. There are a lot of really cool projects that are starting to come up, and with the holiday approaching, maybe one of the ones that we featured is something you might want to consider gifting to a friend or a loved one. If you can, I'd love for you to take a quick moment to leave a review, either on Apple Podcasts or just somewhere on the internet. Word of mouth is honestly one of the best ways for us to grow, and I'd love to see if we could break that 1,000 download point in our first year. We're super close now. We're almost at 700. Might be by the time this episode actually goes live. And for this week's podcast recommendation, I'd like you all to go check out Friends of the Show, Pot of Blunders. They are just some of the funniest people I have talked to in a long time. They do a lot of content for tabletop role-playing games. It's actual play stuff, and I think you're going to love it. Next week, we're going to be talking to our very first author on the show. So look forward to me talking with poet Bailey G about her collections. It's a bit heavier in some ways, so it'll be a slight change of pace, but it was a really good conversation, and I am so excited to share it with you all. Until then, please take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.